Did you see yourself this morning? <laughs> well, that's what we're talking about. The big monster that all of us, uh, we're, we're doing part two today of our series, It Came From Within. And uh, I don't know how you felt about last week, but it gave me a lot to chew on, a lot to think about. And uh, if you're here visiting with us, as uh, uh, Tate said, it's great to have you. And uh, what we do here in the Lighthouse Church of Christ is, is we try to peel back the Scriptures and look at what the, the Scriptures say and how it applies to our life. And once you start to open things up, you see a lot. And uh, as you're going to see today, God has so many answers for how to give us great relationships, how to solve a lot of deep problems and messes that we've made. And as you saw in the intro video, how you can slay the monster. And so you don't have to be one of those victims that's running away from maybe your own monster. But uh, I want to go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. and We're going we're gonna to dive into part two of our series called Luring, or uh, it, it, it comes from within, and today's lesson is Luring Them Into the Open. All right, so let's pray and then we'll begin. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for the privilege that you've given us to be here together. And thank you, God, for everything that you've done for us. Thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for our friends that are here visiting with us today. I do pray that you'll bless their lives. Uh, pray you'll be with the marrieds that are at the retreat today. And I pray it can be a great time for them to get uh, uh, encouraged and, and uh, renewed and refreshed. And I do pray, God, for all of us that we can continue to grow to be everything that you've dreamed of us being. Thank you for Jesus, and I do pray you'll be with us. Fill me with your spirit so I can speak on your behalf. And we love you and thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about in this series, we started last week, it came from within. We're talking about the heart. And it's not your, your physical heart, but it's the place where you love, you long, you learn, you, you lust, you lead, and where you live. And, and that, that place inside of you where everything, and Jesus, we're going to do a quick review. Jesus talked about it this way. Things that come out of your mouth come from where? From your heart. You know, you hear it all the time uh, on the television. You know, there's a sporting event and somebody says something and they wish they didn't say it and they said it. You know, they, they want to take it back. But they said it in front of everybody. You see it on the, on the shots on the sidelines and they're, oh, you know, I wish they wouldn't have caught that. Or where does that stuff come from? And a lot of times when they hear it or see it in public, they go, oh, man, that, that's terrible that I said that. But who are you? You know, and sometimes we'll catch ourselves. We'll say things and we'll go, where did that come from? And Jesus would say, I know. It came from your heart. It came straight from inside of you. And, and this is the point that we've been looking at is, you know, and, and a lot of times in our lives, another, another verse that we looked at in Matthew 15, verse 19, it says, from the heart come evil thoughts. We talked about that last week. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. All these things. They don't come from the guy down the street. When they come out of us, they come from inside of our heart. And one of the things that we, we've uh, seen happen as a child, you learn at a very age that there are things you don't do. You learn how to, how to get a date, how to keep a date, how to say the right thing so that she'll be your girlfriend, right? 
And then maybe one day she'll, she'll, you'll say and do the right thing so that she'll want to be your fiancé and then you'll get married, right? And, and then, then, then you may say something that you'll regret or do something that you'll regret and then you, you, you say the right thing again and you get remarried and you, 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 you learn how to manage what? Your behavior, not your heart. In our society, that's the problem. We don't manage our heart. We, we manage and we, we, we do behavior modification. And Jesus is saying you've got to take things to a whole different level because you're not dealing with the root of your problem. And the root of your problem is what's going on inside of you. And we do all these things. We, we say the right things. We learn to behave in the right way so we can get a job, so we can behave ourselves in that interview. And they'll say, yeah, you, we'll take you. And then later on they find out who you really are and then you get fired. But, but one of the things that we talked about last week is we've all over time developed these filters. Filters in life to modify our behavior. But every once in a while, when we're in a situation, something breaks through that filter. And we say something and we act in a certain way that we didn't expect. And it causes severe damage in our lives. And maybe it's not you, maybe you don't recognize it in you, but you know other people like this. That they were so nice and they were wonderful. And we talked about this last week in the relationship. You know, she's she's my dream girl and he's Mr. Wonderful. And then Mr. Wonderful turned into Godzilla and it was this monster. And I said, he changed. He changed. You know, he wasn't the same guy that I had the relationship in the beginning. He changed. No, he didn't change. Guess what? It came out who he or she really is and was. And so... What Jesus wants to teach us and what the Bible wants to teach us is it's not enough to behave or to, to modify your behavior. You've got to learn to modify and you've got to learn to monitor your heart. That deep place where you live, you love, you lead, you parent, everything comes from your heart. And we looked at this passage last week. Solomon the wisest man said this. And, you know, Solomon said an incredible amount of information about how to live. But he puts this in a separate category. He says, above all else, get this, above all else. This is very important in life. Guard your heart. Because it's the wellspring of life. Everything you do and how you live and how you do things in life comes from where? comes from your heart. And no one has taught us how to monitor this. Even for since a child. And a lot of people get confused. They think coming to church, I'm going to learn how to modify my behavior. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It never was intended. And a lot of people go through religion like that and they just want to be a nice person on the outside and come to church and have a happy face and look good and act good. And when they go home and the doors close, there's somebody else. That, that's not what Jesus intended. He wants to change the whole person. And so what this, what this series is all about is to help us monitor and deal with what's going on on the inside. And today we're going to, to the depths. So I hope you're ready. So grab that seatbelt today. Grab that seatbelt and go ahead and strap in. Okay? And if you're tired, you know, maybe an extra shot uh, of, 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 you know, espresso uh, will do it. Okay? Because you're going to need this today. And let me just say this. What we're going to talk about today is a game changer. And I want to say this particularly for you young people. This can make 
all the difference in your life and in your relationships if you get what we're talking about today. Because the sad part is people don't understand this. They don't know this. And it makes their life miserable and the people around them miserable. And you're going to see what I'm talking about as we move on. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at, starting today, we're going to look at and we're going to deal with specific issues that are little monsters. And guess what? They grow. And they become the little monsters, they become big monsters. And they become these huge monsters that walk around the city. And as you saw in the intro video, they kick down the power lines, they kick over buildings, they step on people. It's not a pretty sight. And, and so what we want to do is learn how to do that. And these are these four things that we're going to look at for the next four weeks. One, we're going to look at one of them today. They get lodged in our hearts. These things, these, these specific issues, they get lodged in our hearts and we need to learn how to biblically manage these things. And, and so today we're going to begin. And, and sometimes one of the things that we're going to talk about today is the only way to deal with some of these issues is to get them out in the light. To expose some light on these things. And that's what we're going to do today. And I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to do that. But we often fear bringing them out into the light because the consequences are, are intense and you could, be, you could, you could feel embarrassed. What if somebody finds out who I really am? Let me tell you, they probably already know a lot more about you than you think. And it's only going to get worse. So it's better to deal with it now so that the consequences can, can be dealt with. So to begin, we're going to look at these four specific issues in a, in, a, in a kind of dynamic that we look at. The debt to debtor relationship. You know, what, you know you've ever been with somebody who you owe money to or they owe you money right and you try to talk about sports and you're hanging around but you know the issue's still down there i mean dude you owe me money man you know and i wish you'd pay me back and oh yeah the, the score was this and that and you, you try to put it aside but it'll never go away because there's a debt right you owe me money you know and you can try to act like everything's cool but it's not because there's a debt that's what we're going to be looking at is that debt debtor. And this will help us understand the four areas that we're going to look at in the next four weeks. When someone owes you money, it affects the relationship. And it's always present no matter what you say or do. It's there. And the first area we're going to talk about today, and we're going to spend the whole morning talking about this, is guilt. Guilt. It's a huge issue in our lives. Guilt. But before we go on to guilt, we gotta we gotta talk about something. So I gotta I gotta come off message here a little bit because we're in church, right? And in some ways, guilt has been mis misrepresented. It has an unhealthy place in church and in religion because there are churches, there are places where they leverage guilt, and they have this mindset. Literally, some ministers have said this. Some church leaders have said this. You know, if we don't use guilt at church, they'll never come back. We can't keep them in the church if they don't, we don't use guilt. Because guilt is what keeps people coming. We've got to make them feel guilty so they'll keep coming to church. Imagine this, that you come to church and you're made to feel guilty, right? And then they pass around a contribution plate and you've got to pay to feel guilty, right? I mean, why not go play golf Sunday morning? And you pay money to feel bad about yourself, just like you do in golf. But, you know, 
In the same way, churches have manipulated and misused guilt. And, and what you're going to find is, you know, is this statement is if we don't make them feel guilty, we'll lose them. We'll lose our members. And this is some of the mindset. But the truth of the matter is, when you read this, when you read the New Testament, you, when you read about Jesus' ministry, Jesus did not leverage guilt. He didn't use guilt. He wasn't a dispenser of guilt. And he could have done it better than anybody else. You know why? Because he didn't have sin at all. And he knew everybody's heart. I mean, if he wanted to, if Jesus wanted to, he could have gone around going, guilty, 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 guilty. Ooh, wow. Super guilty. Guilty, 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 guilty. I always pick on text in the front row. He could have done that. Jesus could have leveraged guilt big time, but he didn't do that. And read it for yourself. What Jesus was a dispenser of was hope. He offered people hope. He offered them the opportunity for change. And that's why people that were very guilted out, that's why people who were loaded down, weighed down with a lot of sin, came to Him. He had huge crowds of people. What kind of people were they that came to Jesus? Sinners. Lots of them. Prostitutes. Tax collectors. The worst of the worst. These were thieves. These were very immoral people. They were, they were far from God. And so when Jesus began His ministry, but He could have nailed us. He could have nailed them. He wasn't a dispenser of guilt. Another thing about guilt. Generally, now this is huge. Generally, guilty people are who leverage guilt to get people to do what they want. Now, talk about that one over lunch today. Chew on that. And you've been in a situation, maybe it's in a family, maybe it was in a church when you grew up. But usually, and this is what, this is what the Pharisees did, they leveraged guilt. They were already feeling so guilty, so they wanted the whole world to feel guilty. And, you know, there are situations where guilt is used as a tool. I'm going to guilt you out so you'll do what I want you to do. And that's not healthy. If you find yourself in this situation in a workplace, if you're working for a, a, a person who is leveraging guilt in your work environment, making you feel guilty so that you'll use it as a motivator, get away from that because it's very destructive for you as a person. And, 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 and here in the church, we, you know, and I got I to gotta say this because in the past, years ago, me as a young minister, because it's very prominent in religion, I've been guilty of leveraging guilt sometimes. But the more you weigh in and lean on the New Testament, you're going to see that's not Jesus' ministry. That's not the way He led. That's not the way He did His ministry. And guilt is extremely unhealthy if it's not dealt with. If it's not resolved. And it becomes a hard issue that negatively affects our relationships. It's going to affect your relationships, not just now, but as we've talked about for weeks, it's going to carry along with you later in life. If you're a guilty person, guess what? It's going to, it's going to rear its head and it's going to bite the people that you love and the people that you want to be close to. This is what, this is what the New Testament says. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness? Tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness 
lead you to repentance? What should be the motivator for us as Christians, as disciples? Should it be guilt? Oh, I want to change because I'm so guilt ridden. No, it's not. It's God's kindness. Is that what's what motivates us to be better people? God's been so good to me. He's been so forgiving, so merciful. I don't want to continue to abuse that. I want it to be a motivator. One of the apostles, the guy who wrote this book, Paul, he said, I am the most motivated apostle of all of them because of what? God's grace. And we see that here in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does the grace of God teach us to do? What does it motivate us to do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What is our motivator? Is guilt a motivator? No, it's not. It can be, but it's not healthy. Jesus' ministry is all about motivating people through God's kindness, God's mercy. And that's what should motivate us to change, to live lives that are upright. So that's just a sidebar situation. I wanted to kind of resolve that as it pertains to church living. Okay? And even family situations, you know, if you're in a situation that is, is, is unhealthy with guilt, get out of that. Okay, or, or, or talk about it. Get it resolved. Because it's not healthy. It, it is negative and it will affect. And I, I grew up in a home like that. Where, you know, guilt was used as a leverage. Okay, guilt is a problem that has to be remedied. All of us have got it. There's not a person. Well, I'm not a guilty person. You're deceived. We all have it. It's, 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 it's an indicator in all of our lives that tells us something is wrong. It's like your conscience. It's a part of your conscience. They're, they're tied together. When you feel guilty, guess what? You've done something. You've hurt someone. You've affected someone. Now, some of us may have an unhealthy place in guilt. We're overly guilty. Or guess what? We're under guilty. I fall into that category. You know, sometimes I can not feel guilty enough or, or not have a balance. You know, I can desensitize. I'm what we call a... a a deceived person. There are other people that are accused people. You know, they're overly guilty. Both of us have to come to the middle and find that healthy middle place. But guilt is a problem and has to be remedied and should not, should not be a permanent part of our lives or our religion or our families. We got it. We got to learn this. And so what does guilt say? Guilt says, I owe you. I owe you. I hurt you. Jen, I hurt you. I owe you. Right? That's when you feel when you've hurt somebody, guess what you feel? I feel bad. I owe you an apology. Right? That's how we, this is even becomes our, 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 our vernacular, our vocabulary. When you've hurt somebody, you say, I owe you an apology. Or, or if you've done something to offend you, let me make it up to you. Or in other words, let me pay it back. Okay, and this happens a lot if you've done something that has offended someone or if you've hurt somebody, this is how you feel. This debt-debitor re relationship. And th this is how we see it. So when you lie or hurt someone, there's a sense that you have taken something from them. And this is true. 
even in families, you'll find this. When, you, when there's lies in a family, in a marriage, how does the offendee feel? You've taken something from me. You've taken trust. You know, and like it or not, when you lie to somebody, you damage the relationship. It's like they put their trust in you and you basically took that trust. And so there's a debt. There's, a, there's an inequity. The relationship is not balanced. It's not healthy. And this is huge in our relationships when we sin or hurt somebody. This sense of inequity or debt in relationships that you've robbed me of the relationship. Now, how do we experience guilt? How do we experience this? It's like a weight. Guilt is like a weight. You ever had guilt? Yeah. Every single one of us. How does it feel when you've done something really, really bad? Or if you've got a lot of guilt? How does that feel? Right around here. How does it feel? How does it feel if people have symptomatic pain? You know about this? You get physical pain when you're a guilty person. There's, there's pain back here. You know, a, a few generations back, there was ulcers. People had a lot. is either stress-related or Guess what? Some kind of emotional turmoil where they're carrying around. It's a weight. You know, it's like a ball and chain where you're just you're just dragging it around or like that old Chevy Chase vacations movie. There's one was one movie where the grandmother died in the car. Remember that one? And, and they covered her up and put her on top of the, the, the roof. They tied her to the back. It was nasty. It was it was ugly. But imagine Carrying around a dead person in your life. That's what guilt is. You're carrying something around, some memory, some past, something that you have done that you're carrying it around with you. It's a weight. It's, it's, it, it makes you feel horrible inside. But when you confess and apologize, guess what people say? When you confess something to the person you've offended, guess what? I feel like a weight has been lifted. Right? Haven't you ever felt this? You come clean about something? Guess what it feels like? Ah, oh, man, I feel so much better. Wow, it's, I've been carrying this around, this, this double life that I've been living. This two people, that I, and that's what it feels like. And so it, 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 it all comes together. But here's the thing. The weight we pick up early in life, guilt. Whether it was in college, a business trip, if you don't deal with it, if you don't deal with it, whatever you've done, if you don't deal with it, you don't come clean with it, guess what? You carry it with you into your future. You can think, well, that was then. They don't know me now. Guess who still knows who you are? Your guilt and your heart. You know. And guess how it comes out? In that new relationship or in that new marriage or in that new situation, guess what comes out? It reels its head again. And you think, no, I thought I was done with that. I thought that was the past. I asked God for forgiveness. I thought it was over. And it comes back. See, because you didn't deal with it biblically. You didn't deal with it correctly. And unresolved guilt affects the people around you. You know this. Ever net run into somebody that has that, mm, that edge? You know? They're kind of like a... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of person. You know, that, that phrase that we always use, she's a little sibyl. You know, she's a little sibyl. You know, she's nice and then, and then, ah! 
And you're like, whoa. You know those edgy people, those dark people who you kind of you keep your distance from and you give them a little bit of extra room because you know at any moment you could lose your arm. Right? We know this. Okay, and you've seen people like this. And we talk about them on the side. You know, the sidebar conversations. Man, what's wrong with her? She's got that edge. What's wrong with him? And they'll never maybe tell you. But they're talking about you. They're saying, man, he's, just, he's got that edge. He's like this, this person, you know? And a lot of times, you know what that is? It's unresolved guilt. It's something they got buried and that's why it, just, it comes out. And so today we're going to talk about how to, how to deal with that. You know, if you were to take guilt, it's in a box, right? And you were to open that box and unpack guilt, what would you see in the, in, in the guilt? What would you see in it? You would find anger. Who are guilty people angry at? I'm sorry. It's okay if you participate a little bit. Don't whisper. Who are they angry with? themselves. They're incredibly frustrated. Who are they frustrated with? You know, and, and, and this happens, and I got, I got to talk to the teens here a little bit, you know, because it's true, and maybe even the college students, when you see that edge come out, and you're mad at somebody, but you know it's not really them. You know, they spilled that coffee, but it didn't really reserve all that anger and all that frustration. They spilled it on your carpet, and it's like, Rah! you know, why'd you spill that? Why did you do that? You ruined my life. Whoa, whoa, I'll clean it. I'll deal with it. Okay. What are we talking about here? Why all that anger? Why all that frustration? Because they got stuff inside. And, and guilty people are, are, are angry with themselves. They're frustrated with themselves because why? I let me down. I let me down. I let myself down. I promised I would never do it. And guess what? I did it again. Mm, I'm so mad with myself. And they're frustrated. And they, they don't feel like they can change. And this is a huge issue in relationships. If you want to have healthy relationships in your life, you've got to deal with how you're feeling about you and your unresolved guilt that you're carrying around. It's a huge issue. Guilty people. You know that it's almost impossible to please a guilty person who's carrying around a load of guilt? You can't make them happy. Guilty people. And here's some of the things that they say or they think. They won't say this, but they think it. Since I didn't live up to my expectations, guess what? I'm not going to let you live up to yours either. Oh, and this is what happens even in work environments and situations where you you're dealing with these kinds of people or maybe it's you. And, and another one is since I disappointed me, I'm going to find a way that you disappoint me. This is deep stuff. This is very, very, very deep stuff. But I want to encourage you to deal with this. I want to encourage you to lean in on what we're talking about today because it's big. It's big in our, in our relationships and how we manage and deal with people. And a lot of times these guilty people, guess what? They have no idea. And you try to talk to them and you say, hey, you know what? Something's not right with you. And guess what they say? Hey, that's just the way I am. I'm a perfectionist. 
Okay? I have high expectations. Oh, really? That's not it. You know, so I would encourage you, have closer relationships so you can have people in your life that can help you. And even do an inventory of what's happening deep down inside. Guilt is a heart issue. And it eats away at your heart. It just gnaws you and just starts chewing away at that person that you want to become. And here's the key thing. It grows in the darkness. Guilt grows in the darkness. But it's destroyed in the light. It's dissipated. It's destroyed in the light. It's like those Draculas. They can't take, you know, and they, 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 there's some parables there. There's some parallels there. You know how the, the vampires, they hate the light. But man, you put a light on them, they're gone. They just melt. They just die. That's what happens with guilt. When you expose it in the light. And there's only two options in dealing with guilt. Okay? Or debt. Kind of the, the same parallel. Only two options when you're dealing with guilt. Option number one is pay it back. If you've stolen money, how can you make it right? You pay it back. You deal with it. But sometimes it's impossible to pay somebody back in a relationship. Give an example. When you've ruined a family and you've ruined a marriage, the first one, it's very hard to go back and pay back and make it right. But in the area of theft, deceit, there's ways that you can make it right. And this is huge. Pay it back. The other one is, how can you pay for a lie or failed relationship in, in a marriage like we just talked about? And then number two is, ask the person for forgiveness. And this you can do in any, any situation, in any case. If it happened a long, long, long time ago, you know it's still there, you're carrying it around, you've got to go back. And you've got to deal with it. And ask the person for forgiveness. Both of these, number one and number two, both of these require something. What is that? And we're not very good at it. It requires confession. Say it with me. Confession. You hate that word. You hate it. Confession. I went to confession way back and, you know, and that's how we look at it. No, no. Confession needs to be something that we're always, if we're going to manage guilt, we've got to be willing to get real, get honest. And we're not good at this. Confession. Let's break down confession. Are you still with me? Another, another, another extra shot of espresso. Keep you going. You still with it? You're kind of quiet, maybe because of the subject matter. Okay? Confession. Confession breaks the power of guilt. It smashes it. It exposes it to light. It breaks it down. It breaks the death grip that guilt has on our hearts. When you confess, it's like a big light that exposes and cleanses our hearts. But here's the deal. You will never adequately forgive yourself. As long as guilt is kept a secret. Let me repeat it. You never adequately forgive yourself. And this isn't about somebody else. You'll never be settled in your heart as long as your guilt is a secret. And this is, this is huge. What does the Bible say about confession? Interesting thing is that the Bible says more about confessing to other people than it has to say about confessing to God. 
You know, a lot of times in, in our society today, we live in a culture and a religious climate that says, I only need to confess to God. I already confessed it to God. Right? And, and let me explain to you, because you know this, how many times have you confessed things to God and you kept on doing it? <coughs> God, I lied to her eight times. Oops, nine times. Okay, God, I'm back. It's ten. Eleven. Twelve. And on and on and on. And, and, and God's like, why are you talking to me? I already know what you did. Go talk to her. Go talk to him. He or she is the one that you lied to. Confess it to him. Confess it to her. That's who you've got to talk to. That's who the problem is with. That's who you're carrying around that guilt with, is the other person. And I'll describe this here. Look, we'll look at some, some scriptures that talk about this. This is the very first time that the Bible talks about confession in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. Look what it says here, as it, as it has to do with dealing with guilt or when you've wronged somebody. Look what it says. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when a man or woman wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord, that person is guilty. Okay, that, that's it. You're guilty. You've done something wrong. You've hurt somebody. You're guilty. How do you deal with it? And must confess the sin he has committed. Confess to who? Confess to the person. And guess what else he's got to do with the person that they've hurt in the Old Testament? He must make full restitution for his wrong. And not only that, add one-fifth to it. So let's say you stole $100 from somebody, right? What do you got to do? First, you got to go tell them. Hey, Tate, that C note that you were missing, mm, I took it. Thanks. But the Bible says I got to pay it back to you. Plus 20. Right? Now, here's the motivator. If it costs me $120, you think I'm going to go walk around and start stealing more money? No. And you've added a fifth to it. To any person, he's wrong. This was the Old Testament law. And this is how God was teaching his people in the beginning how to manage what? Guilt. Okay? Another passage that talks about this. A great example. Zacchaeus. Who knows about Zacchaeus? Okay? For all you uh, shorter people, let's talk. This is your man right here. He was like Napoleon Bonaparte. He was, he was a little man, but very powerful. Okay? Very short. Okay, he was so short that he couldn't see Jesus in the crowd, so he climbed up on a sycamore tree. And as Jesus was passing by, he looked up at the tree and said, What are you doing up in that tree? You're a grown man. He didn't say that. Okay, I'm making that up. He looked up to him and he said, Zacchaeus, he knew his name, I must come to your house today. And Zacchaeus comes down from the tree. And look what Zacchaeus says. He stood up. People thought he was still, you know, sitting down, but he, he was actually standing. He stood up and said to the Lord, look at what he said to Jesus. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times. Now, who was Zacchaeus? Anybody know what his occupation was? He was a tax collector. And he was a tax collector for Rome. And these people, they were very crooked. They were very corrupt. And they took extra taxes. They would, they would, they would charge people extra taxes. And they became very wealthy. And they were seen as crooks and thieves. And this is his repentance. He says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times. Now, this is a little higher than what we saw in the book of Numbers, right? Four times? That means if I stole $100 from Tate, guess what? I've got to pay him $400 more. I pay him back the C note plus four more. That's what he was willing to do. And then he says, look what Jesus says to him. Today, salvation has come to this house. Now, what if Jesus had said, hey, 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 just talk to me. Don't worry about that. We'll put the money to good use. Just confess it to me and we're good. Right? Did Jesus say that? No. See, because repentance and confession, they go hand in hand. And this is very important. And it says here, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to do what? Seek and save the lost. Or in other words, guilty people. Jesus came to help guilty people like you, like me. And to help us out. And so this is the pattern for, you know, the Bible and how it talks about confession and how to make things right. Here's another passage that talks about confession. James chapter 5, verse 16. It says here, Therefore, confess your sins to your minister behind a screen. Make an appointment with a, a person and confess to them. No, that's not what it says. Confess your sins to who? To each other. In other words, Rienzi, I sinned against you. Guess who I got to talk to? Rienzi. Now, when people do this, they, they want to set up times with a minister. I get phone calls occasionally and people want to get together with me and they want to download all their stuff. Right? And they may feel better for a little while. Confession with somebody or with God, when you go to God online, it's just you and Him. You feel better for a little while. But about a week, two weeks, a month later, guess what happens? It comes right back and you'll do it again. You'll do it again. And this is what the Bible teaches with regard to confession. You've got to get open with the person that you've offended. And in order for what? What's that last word on the screen? Healed. Who gets healed when you confess with the person that you have hurt? Both of you get healed. I get healed with Rienzi. He gets healed because I'm facing the music with him. I hurt him. I've offended him. I stole from him. I did whatever I did to him. And I'm getting healed with him. Guess who else gets healed? Me. I get healed. My heart gets healed because guess what? I no longer have to carry around my guilt. I feel bad. But when he says, I forgive you, and we settle up, then we're good. You see? And, and another thing that we, we can look at here, another example is, the goal of confession is not a clear conscience. That's not the goal of confession. The goal of confession is what? It's up on the screen. You can cheat. It's a changed life. Confession is not about making you feel better. Confession is about changing your life. 
What good is it? And you know, we all have done this. We've confessed to God over and over. But until you sit down with the person that you've hurt, it won't be made right. I'll give you an example. A ninth grader. For all you ninth graders? Christian ninth grader. Okay? Taking a math test. Has high expectations. I believe it's right to get A's. Okay, but... They've had an A, straight-A student, and then there came a math test in the week, and they weren't prepared for the math test, and so guess what they do? They say, man, I really want to get an A, so I'm going to get this cheat sheet, and I'm going to, I'm going to write out all the answers on the cheat sheet. Put it in my sleeve. So go to class. Cheats on the test. Gets an A. Get an A. Cheat. Get an A. Cheat. I, I, I don't believe in cheating. I, I, I believe in A's. Which one? I believe in an A. So they go in to get an A. They go home, confess to God, God, I'm sorry, I cheated on the test. Happens again. Happens again. Becomes a part of their character in their life. Christian. Right? Now, what if that ninth grader, he or she, went in, took the test, said, hey, teacher, see this A? I cheated. Teacher takes the test. Big red marker. F, you got to retake the class in the summer. Oh, wow. Heavy consequence, right? But guess what? What's the likelihood that that Christian ninth grader is going to go back and cheat in on another test? <laughs> you think so? You won't do it again, right? Because you figured out the consequence is not worth it. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to repeat the same thing again. I believe in A's, but not that price. And see, this is what we do. We play this game. But what if something bigger? I know, you know, kind of funny to talk about a ninth grade Christian taking a math test. What if it's something bigger? What if I got, didn't just cheat on a math test? I cheated on my husband. I cheated on my wife. If I confess that, do you know how much that's going to hurt them? Here's something very important. Huge. Confession. Confession doesn't hurt people. Sin and concealment hurt people. This is huge. Confession doesn't hurt people. Sin and concealment hurt people. Well, I don't want them to feel bad. You know what? They probably already suspect something's going on anyway. There's already a distance there. There's already something that's going on that you're thinking about, that you're feeling. And, and this gets even deeper. There's a reason we don't confess is because we're so scared of the consequence. Right? If I come out with this, man, and let me tell you, I've got, I got to share this with you because I've studied the Bible with hundreds of married couples. Maybe even approaching, you know, a thousand. I don't know. A lot of couples. A lot of couples. In different parts of the world. And we come to that part where we're dealing with life. We're dealing with guilt. We're dealing with sin. And the whole object is to come clean. To get it out. To get the guilt out. To get started over again. To get forgiven. To get that weight off. And then we get to the point. Guess what? you got to talk about this with your spouse. And they're like, no, 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 no. I can't talk about it. It's going to devastate her. You already have devastated her. 
You've already done the damage. Do you want to continue to do more damage by not being open and have a distant relationship? Do you want to carry around that cadaver the rest of your life? The rest of your marriage? I say, well, let me just confess it to you. And this has been rare, but it's happened because I don't want to force people to do things. They've got to make those choices themselves. Okay? People got to make choices themselves. And on those occasions when people haven't confessed and gotten completely open with their spouse, guess how the relationship is? Guess what ends up coming up later? Somehow she finds out, somehow he finds out, and boy, you want to talk about carnage. Almost irreparable. I'm not sure that's a word. Can't reconcile it. This is serious business, guys. But let me tell you about all the other great stories, all the other incredible stories. Because their relationship was already a mess before. There was this and that because you've got two guilty people and they're carrying that guilt around and they're, 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 they're leveraging that guilt on each other and it's, it's, it's so, so negative and toxic. And you go, wait, 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 let's unpack it. And they get open with each other. And there's a lot of tears. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of stuff. And you, and you just go, oh, man. But guess what happens? There's forgiveness. And there's an opportunity to start rebuilding the relationship based on honesty and truth. Everything's out in the open. And I have seen marriages that where there was a lot of stuff, a lot of bad stuff that was going on before. And guess what? Because they confessed and they got open and they, 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 they were motivated at that point to never, ever do it again. Because you, when you face the consequences at that level, you go, no, not again. Big difference between getting caught and confessing. When you confess, that motivates change. And sometimes we're so afraid of the consequences. But let me, let me talk about the consequences. The consequences of confession are tangible, meaning you can see them, right? You, you can weigh it. You can see it. It's going to be a few, me, a few weeks, a few months. They're immediate and they impact a handful of people, Right? But guess what happens? The consequences of concealment are intangible, meaning you can't even measure it. It's almost infinite, the effect that concealment has on your life. Because they will impact most of your relationships for the rest of your life. This is huge. You'll never be the same person in here. It's always, it's like dragging along for the rest of your life a huge weight. You know what happens to people? Me being in the ministry and people are close to dying. Guess what they want to do? They want to confess. They want to get open. They want to talk to people. And it's a heavy job. Man, they're going to die. And, and I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's do this. Everything. And once they've confessed and got everything out there, You know what comes to mind? I wish I'd have done this earlier. Because I could have had, 
I could have had a different relationship with my kids. I could have had a different relationship with my family. I could have had a different relationship with my wife. I could have had a different relationship with all these people that I have hurt. But I bottled it up. And I've carried it to this very last moment in my life. Trust me, it's not worth it. There's no good reason to keep stuff in. Well, I was afraid of the consequence. Listen, you don't want to deal with this intangible thing. Because it's deep and it's dark. And that's maybe why you're so edgy. Why you're so moody. Why you're so intangible yourself in relationships. God knows it. Who are you kidding? He knows what you're doing. He knows what's going on in your life. And He's trying to give you practical solutions. Just get open about it. And this is what Jesus' ministry around was, well, was all about. He was going around and He was telling people, confess your sin and get open so you can get reconciled and rebuild that family. Could you imagine? I'll give you one great example of an incredible family. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. You know what Mary was? This was a family. Mary was a prostitute in a Jewish family. What was that family like? Your sister's a prostitute. She's a woman of the night selling her body. I mean, you imagine the weight that she felt. You imagine the weight that the whole family felt, that Lazarus felt, that Martha felt. And you get the impression that Martha, she was kind of a good person, good, godly person. Until her heart kind of came out in an anxious moment. Jesus healed Mary. And then you see the family dynamic. When Lazarus dies, they're together. They're a family. They're friends. They've got a relationship with Jesus. I'm sure those, those few weeks or those months, those right around, around the confession, the coming clean, I'm sure they were turbulent. It was hard. It was painful. But tell you, get it out in the open and things die. And you can start over again. So I encourage you to think about this. God knows He's got the solutions. All right, so let's break it down. Faith in action. I want to encourage you today. Take a baby step. All right, you got stuff? You got stuff going on in your life? You got some secrets? The action is get open. Because you're carrying around guilt. You got it. It's that little monster. And as long as you keep it in your heart and you keep it as a secret, guess what? It's going to grow. And it's going to produce damage. It's going to affect your relationships and your life. Take a baby step. Talk to somebody. If, if you don't have enough, talk to somebody that you know. You know, that, that maybe you can't talk to the offended party. Talk to somebody who you, you will be accountable to. And then eventually, you need to talk to the offended party. As hard as that may seem, let me tell you, it's tangible. You deal with it, you get through with it, and you move on in your life. Free from guilt. Free from the weight. And you can start over. And that's number two. Eventually, you need to talk to the offended party. And then number three, if possible, if you stole money, if you took something from somebody, you've got to make it right. Who are you doing this for? These three things. Who are you doing this for? Yeah. And for your relationships. You're doing it for Him primarily. For God. 
Right? Because you want a relationship with God. Or you wouldn't be here. Right? Maybe they drug, they dragged you here. Okay? You know, put you on a cart, tied you up, and here you are. But there's a part of you that wants to do right. There's a part of you that wants to be right. And you know it. You're carrying it around. I want to encourage you to take this step so you can do this. And here's the thing. For a little while, your outside world may be turbulent. It may be hard. It may be complicated. But here's the, here's the most incredible thing. Your inside world will be free and you can move forward without the weight. No more cadavers. No more fear of the secrets going to come out. They're going to find out. They're going to know. Does she know? Does he know? Oh, what if it comes out? What? You don't want to carry that around. You don't want to live your life like that. Let me tell you an incredible example that's happening right now in our country. Penn State University. Wow! One man! One situation! And a whole institution is coming down. The amount of money, the amount of lives, all this stuff. A guy whose career, 60 years, an impeccable, you think, impeccable career. His whole life is being dashed. His family's affected. This family's being affected. This family's being affected. What if? What if? That had gotten dealt with as a young person. I got this problem. I got this situation. I was molested as a child and I have this tendency. They'd have gotten counseling. They got it fixed. They'd have gotten open and be out in the open and they'd gotten so convicted. They'd go, imagine. Our world is filled with it. You don't want to be that person. You don't want any part of that. You don't want to bring down your family. You don't want to bring down your friends. You don't want to bring down... You know, a workplace environment. You don't want to do that. Deal with it now. Get rid of that guilt. And there's only one way to deal with it. Questions? How's your heart today? You got any secrets? You got some stuff? You got some baggage you've been carrying around? I want to encourage you to be honest today with yourself, with God. This is for you. This is your, this is your day. This is your opportunity to come clean. And, and, and maybe you've been carrying around a load for a long time. I want to encourage you. Pull off to the side. Unpack your stuff. And get right. So that you can have the life that God desires. And you know, there's even people listening to this online. There's people that are going to listen to this later on a recording. I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, what you're doing, what you're listening to, deal with this. This is your day. This is your opportunity. And we're going to take the communion now. Romans chapter 4. And this is the blessing. This is why Jesus came. This is the promise. Blessed are those whose guilt, change that word, transgression, transgression for guilt. Blessed is those whose guilts, 
are unpacked and unloaded and are forgiven. Blessed is that man. Blessed is that woman whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sins the Lord will never count against them. Not here, not in a relationship, not ever. You're clean. You're free. What a blessing, man. What a gift. Do you want that? Jesus came for this. Jesus died for this. He hung on a cross. He was beaten. He was slain. So you could be free. But you need to confess and come clean with it. Let's pray for the communion.